welcome to the Diction Police. I'm your host, Ellen Rissinger, an American vocal coach accompanist on the music staff of the Zempeloper in Dresden, Germany. It's the start of the opera season and the school year in most places, and we're kicking off our ninth season with Dr. François Germain. Using Duparc's Fidili, we focus on the final schwas in French, the I-L-L and I-L spellings, plus the pronunciation of the third-person plural as opposed to the gerund form in verb conjugations. For more information about François Germain, or for the accompanying PDF of this text, which includes an IPA transcription along with the poetic and word-for-word -word translations, please visit DictionPolice.com. You can also follow the Diction Police on Facebook or Twitter at Diction Police. Best known for the 17 remaining melodies that he composed, Henri Duparc stopped composing at age 37 due to an illness known at the time as neurasthenia. He eventually went completely blind and destroyed most of his compositions. The text for Fidili was written by Le Comte de Lille, who was a leader of the Parnassian movement in poetry. The Parnassian poets, including Prudhomme, Mallarmé, Verlaine, and others, worked for disciplined perfection in form and language as a reaction to the sentimentality of the Romantic period of poetry which preceded it. Fidilé, l'herbe est molle au sommeil sous les frais peupliers, aux pentes des sources moussues, qui dans les prés en fleurs germant par mille issues se perdent sous les noirs alliés. Repose, ô Fidilé, Midi sur les feuillages rayonne et t'invite au sommeil. Par le trèfle et le thym, seul, en plein soleil, chantent les abeilles volages. Un chaud parfum circule au détour des sentiers. La rouge fleur des blés s'incline, et les oiseaux, rasant de l'aile la colline, cherchent l'ombre des églantiers. Mais quand l'astre, incliné sur sa courbe éclatante, verra ses ardeurs s'apaiser, que ton plus beau sourire et ton meilleur baiser me récompensent de l'attente. There are two sort of overarching issues with this piece, figuring out when and where to say the final schwas and double consonants. Why don't we start with the final schwas, because I think that is one of the tougher things in the sure. French has a lot of words that end in a schwa, and sometimes that schwa is pronounced and sometimes it's not. So if I were to speak the, the text without thinking about the direct diction, the first few words, we have l'herbe, molle, source, moussu, for instance. Now, in lyric diction, you have the option of pronouncing those schwas if the composer chooses to do so. Right. And in this case, we have both possibilities. So the, the opening words, we have l'herbe molo sommeil. So there we don't actually pronounce any of them. No, those schwas are not pronounced. They're called elided. So you tie the consonant that precedes the schwa to the next word. To the next vowel sound, right? To the next right? vowel of the next word, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the B of herbe to the E of the next word and the L of mol to the O. So l'herbe mollo, not l'herbe mollo. 
Right, because we don't want those two vowel sounds to come together all the time. Exactly. I think in this case, it would really make the, the text a little bit heavy and, and, and clunky in mm -hmm. many ways. So it's more elegant to elide those schwas. However, there are cases where the composer chooses to actually have the schwa pronounced. In the second verse, we have source and moussure. Yeah. In this case, the schwa is present, and this is indicated in the music. There are several ways that you can indicate that. Sometimes you have an extra note that's specifically written uh, over the schwa. Mm -hmm. And sometimes also you don't have an extra note, but you have a separation in the text. Okay. Um, and so the sur, st will be separated in the way they're, uh, they're laid out on the score. In the case of the word mal, it almost looks like we could say mal when yeah, you're looking it, at the when, music. When you look at the music here, because of that tied triplet, exactly, uh, it, it almost looks like that's an, an extra pitch uh, for the schwa. Right. But then you have to look at the word, and the word is actually not separated. The mal is written all in one, and that, that means that that schwa will not be pronounced. Okay. So that extra pitch is really just there for the, the musical writing, the notation, yeah. uh, so that we can have the rhythm clear. And it's not an actual extra pitch there. Yeah. Of the two schwas in source and moussure, I think the more interesting and trickier one is the second one with moussure. Because exactly. the schwa happens after a vowel. I was just going to say that. When the schwa happens after a consonant, it's, it's very straightforward. You just pronounce the schwa. Uh, remembering that a final schwa is not emphasized and it has to feel like it's fairly discreet and, and elegant. But when you have the schwa after a vowel, it's, it's a little bit more unusual because French typically does not have a lot of diphthongs and vowel collisions, I call them. Yeah, vowel sounds coming together. Yes, exactly. So, again, in speech, this word would be pronounced moussu without the schwa at all. Mm -hmm. But now we add the schwa and we get moussu. And what's important to remember about this is that, first of all, each vowel, so the u and the e, stays exactly pure. Mm -hmm. And schwa is always oe in French. Right. So we go from a mixed vowel u to mixed vowel oe. And they, they don't change because they're together. You cannot add anything in between. So there's no glide, there's no, no way glide. of getting from the one to the other. No, you just have to be very clear on what the vowels are and make sure that you connect them very legato. Yeah. Uh, I would say going from one pure vowel to the other, but you're really going from one pure mixed vowel to another pure mixed vowel. Right, yeah, pure in this case, not meaning pure vowel, but just real vowel to real vowel, exactly. or the, the, the exact <laughs> sound of the vowel. And I think uh, something that really helps with the handling of those final choix is to, to think of them as a release vowel. They're always a release of the previous sound mm -hmm. in, in a way. You really make sure that the important sound here is the U and then the choix releases from that. So moussure and not moussure where you really where you're uh, heading towards emphasize it. The, the schwa at all. Right. So there's a feeling that everything kind of relaxes into the schwa. And that helps to get the right stress in the word and in the groups of words. Yeah. One other thing that makes moussure difficult to pronounce is the fact that it's an ou before the e. Yeah, so that's <laughs> that's an unrelated issue, but it does complicate the, the picture here. Ou and u in a row are always a little bit tricky because you have to make sure that those two vowels are established clearly. Mm -hmm. um, and they just happen to be two vowels that are sometimes difficult for especially English natives because you don't have them in the language yeah. um, exactly in that pure form. So just remember that ou, first of all, is a very rounded vowel with really rounded lips and that ou has a component of ou in it in the mix. Right, the lips. Exactly. So ou being a mixed vowel is made out of the inside shape of the e sound. So your tongue would be in an e position. But the lowercase i. But your lips will be uh, in an ou position, relaxed, but still very rounded. 
So when you go from the U to the U, the only thing that should change is the feeling inside the mouth where the tongue gets fronted to get to the E position. Exactly. The back of the tongue is going to have to go up to say, go from U to U. Exactly. Because from in the U position, the back of the tongue is, is relaxed. Exactly. Uh, in the E position, it, it fronts, so mm -hmm. it, it gets raised. But that's the only thing that will change between those two vowels. So if you find yourself moving lips, and you can you can check this in the mirror, if you find yourself moving lips, um, you're not doing it right. Yeah, and also jaw. Everything yeah, else lips or jaw, relaxed. exactly. Like no, no jaw involvement. We don't articulate a vowel with uh, the jaw. Exactly. In the next verse of this piece, we have the rhyme with monsieur at the end of it. Yes, so monsieur rhymes with issue, and we have a lot of the same issues with, with the word issue. Yeah, um, issues. Issues. Issues with, with, yes, word issues. issues with the word issue. Exactly. Um, so the, the schwa is treated the same way. What's interesting about this is that we don't go from U to U this time, but we go from E to U. Honestly, I had never noticed it before, but as you were talking, I was thinking it's the reverse exactly. of monsieur. So in monsieur, we don't want to move the lips and we want to keep the tongue active between the U and the U. And here's the opposite. The tongue and the inside shape will stay the same between the E and the U, but the lips will round. Yeah. We have a case where we first establish one part of the mixed vowel and then go to the U. And then in the second word, issue, we establish the other part of the mixed vowel and then go to the U. So it's, it's almost like an exercise in how to form your U vowel properly. Exactly. And actually with the word before it, mil, we have the elision yes, this that is comes another, into it. Exactly. This is another case of the elided schwa. We don't say mil issue, we'll say mil issue just because of the way it's set. Yeah, and interestingly enough, most of these words that we're talking about have a double consonant. Yes, and there's a lot of words in this piece that have double consonants. Double consonant in French is not something that you want to do anything about. A double consonant is treated as if the consonant were single. So it's really just an orthographical thing that doesn't yes, affect the pronunciation. Absolutely, it's just a spelling convention or spelling rule etymologically motivated usually, mm -hmm. but it has no impact on the diction. So we, we, we do not double, we do not lengthen the consonants, and we also do not shorten the vowels that come before those double consonants, okay. like we would in German, for instance. Yeah. And this is very important. You have to make sure that you do not anticipate your double consonants. You right. still want to sing long vowels and stick the consonant at the beginning of the next syllable so that you can really emphasize the vowel and sing on the vowel as long as you possibly can. Yeah. There is one little thing to talk about with double consonants in French, and that is the, the case of the ILL exactly. combination. Because mille is one of our exceptions, right? Yes. So usually ILL triggers a Jake Lied in the spelling rules. And actually, we have a few examples of where um, it triggers them in this yes, piece, too. So we have abeille, feuillage, meilleur, all cases where ILL turns into a Jake Lied. But here we have one of our exceptions, mille, where the ILL does not turn into a Jake Lied. And the ILL, again, phonetically, is then only an IL with one L. It's not doubled. Yes, in this case, the mille is just as if it were written M-I-L. Yeah. In the next line of the piece, we have another double consonant. It's not the ILL, it's an ALL word. The word allié, and the double L here just is an L sound. Yeah. There's nothing particular that happens to the consonant here. Although, oddly enough, it has an I after it, which then makes a J glide after it. Right. That's really because of the combination of IE more than the combination of LLI. Exactly. Because when you see IE in a combination, it can be either the sound E or Y, 
like we have here. So yeah. the eye turning into a jade light. Yeah. This also brings up one of our other favorite topics, which is the aspirate H, because we do not do a liaison into the word allier. Right. Allier is a very interesting case here. First of all, it's an unusual word. It's not common at all. And allier is essentially um, shrubbery. But it's, it's very poetic and it's very refined. Second, it starts with an H. Now, H is never pronounced in French, but it can be one of two things. It can be either what we call aspirated or not aspirated. But the aspirated still doesn't mean we pronounce it. No, that has no bearing on the pronunciation of anything. It just means that in the aspirated case, we will not be able to do a liaison. Right. If it's unaspirated, we would be able to do a liaison. So if you have a word before, in this case, you have an adjective in the plural before the noun that it qualifies. If this H were unaspirated, we would be able to make a liaison. We would definitely make the yes, liaison. we would definitely make the liaison. In this case, the H is aspirated, so we cannot make the liaison. You cannot say noir zalier. But we do say the R, because it not, it's not noir, it's noir, Yes, right? the, R, the R is not silent. It's only the S that's silent. R, in combination with another consonant at the end of a word, is usually pronounced, mm -hmm. and it's, it's the case here. Now, a little extra thing here that's, that's very interesting is that it's a case where, because of, um, I think, the difficulty of that word and the fact that it's a, it's a rare word, one of the main goals of diction is to convey text exactly. and to be understood. Right. That's, that's why we work so hard on diction. And to be immediately understood. Exactly. And, and in this case here, there's a little bit of a difficulty. First of all, allié is a rare word, mm -hmm. uh, so it's not something that we might immediately understand. But beyond that, if you're not careful here and say noir allié, you might involuntarily create a, another meaning with the, the combination of sounds. Yeah, because that A then could sound like it's the letter A with the accent. Yes. And then we have the preposition, which is a completely different thing. It might sound like you're saying noir allié, which uh, would translate roughly into black to tie, which becomes... Uh, nonsense. Nonsense, and, and uh, in context make, makes, uh, makes it very difficult to understand what's being said here. So traditionally, what you have here is a case where you have to make a little bit of an effort to clarify the, the word allié, and the way this is usually done is by giving it just a, a very, very slight glottal. <sighs> Or maybe let's say separation, because Sep there are no glottals in French, There right? are no glottals in French, but in certain cases you, you do want a little bit of a separation or a reiteration of the vowel sound yeah. and drop just a little bit this concept of the constant legato. Because in this case, if you are applying the theoretical legato that we usually want for French, right. noir allié, this is when you might create that, that strange double meaning here. Yeah. So noir allié, you can still do it elegantly without having much of a stop, but it will help sort of highlight the word allié and, and clarify that it's a word on its own. It's yeah. not allié, it's allié. And that noir is by itself. Exactly. It's, it's a case of just helping the understanding of, of the text by how you use the diction and how you might go just a little bit against the grain of the usual rules of diction. Exactly. And I think there's actually uh, even another case in this piece, in the very next stanza, when you sing repose au fidile. Just that retaking of the O uh, is used here as an expressive device yeah. and, and helps highlighting that O fidile. Yeah, because it makes it more passionate. Exactly. In some ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. While we're saying that about the word O, 
the axon circumflex on top of that, that little carrot top closes the O, right? Closes the O, yes. The, the, the carrot top closes the O, darkens the A, and opens the A. Exactly. So it's a multifaceted accent that does different things, uh, but it <laughs> tends to do the same thing for one letter all the time. Yeah. In the last stanza of this song, we have one sentence where I feel like we need to talk about the vowels. Que ton plus beau sourire? Because we have this we have all of these difficult vowels all in a row. Mm -hmm. This would be a very good place to practice just vowels. I mean, I think it's always a good idea to practice just vowels, mm -hmm. both speaking, intoning, and singing on pitch. Mm -hmm. So here we have a, o, u, o, u, i. And actually, if we continue, the next one also bases itself off of the e vowels. We have meyabizi. So yes. we have all of these different kinds of e's. Yes. So what's interesting about this verse is that I think the first part, the vowels are all a little bit far apart. They're not extremely related. Uh, oh, you, oh, we. you have a lot of variety here. Mm -hmm. uh, and the second part of the verse, e, oh, e, oh, e, they stay a little bit closer together. Yeah. Regardless of how close the vowels are, I think it's always important to try and feel like they are all formed within a very similar kind of space. Otherwise, you will start what I call over-dictionizing, <laughs> where you're, you're overly forming the vowel sounds, and, and that goes against the, uh, the evenness of tone and legato that, that you're trying to achieve. Yeah. The way to approach something like this would be to, first of all, establish each vowel sound very clearly, mm -hmm. but then try and tie them together in a way that feels very smooth and organic. Mm -hmm. So, where it, it feels like everything lives in the same kind of space. Exactly. You're sort of looking almost for that foghorny kind of feel so that you don't feel as though you're going, right. we you don't, don't want to feel things chunking. Yes, when you work on vowels, you should not really be able to tell the precise moment where you switch from one vowel to the next. Right. I call that clicking, actually. Yes. When you go from like an E to E O E O, right. it so feels like a click between exactly. them. Exactly. You don't want any click. You want you want that click to be smoothed out. Yeah. So that there's a, a really gentle, smooth transition between the vowels, which is what will give you your legato. This phenomenon of the ILL turning into a J-glide that we were talking about is when that ILL is internal in a word, and only when there are two L's. If it's at the end of a word, suddenly all we need is one L, as in the words sommeil and soleil. One phrase that people like to throw around in French diction is the concept of vocalic harmonization. We're generally taught that vocalic harmonization means that an open epsilon e before a closed lowercase e, e, or an open oe before a closed o slash will close. The trick of this rule is that open vowel will not close to a perfect match of the closed one, but rather just close slightly, creating a vowel sort of in between open and closed. This is because any unstressed vowel will tend to be slightly less open or closed than one in a stressed position. It comes up in this text with the word sapezi, where the AI digraph in the middle is technically an open e. Eh. Vocalic harmonization is not a rule, however, it's just an option. So you could choose to leave this vowel open, sapezi. Should you choose to harmonize that open e, eh, 
then be sure you aren't just completely closing the vowel to sapezi, but somewhere in between that sapezi. There are examples of verbs in the third person plural in almost every sentence in Fidili. The reason that we talk often about third person plural, and by that I mean the they person in verb conjugation, is because this is usually the ENT ending that is either silent or turns into a schwa. If you're ever in any doubt, make sure to find the subject of the verb, which in poetry can sometimes be a little tricky. For example, at the end of the second stanza of this poem, we have chante les abeilles. In this case, the subject and verb are backwards. It should be les abeilles chantent. The bees sing. The subject-verb connection in the other stanzas is a little more complicated because they aren't next to each other at all. In the first verse, there's a clause that breaks up the word source, the springs, or rather actually qui, meaning that, which starts the clause, from the verb se perdre, lose themselves. So the springs who lose themselves. In the third stanza, we have les oiseaux, the birds, Cherche, seek, also separated by a clause that describes what the birds are doing. In the last stanza, it's not even just a plural subject, but rather two subjects to create the plural. Ton plus beau sourire, your most beautiful smile, et ton meilleur baiser, your best kiss, me récompense, reward me. In récompense, the first en digraph here is the anasal that we expect an en to make. So it's important to notice that the final syllable here is just a schwa and not another anasal. Another thing that makes this concept of the third person plural more complicated is that the gerund form of verbs oftentimes is an anasal, as we have in this text in the words germon and raison. Gerunds are what would be in English the ing verb endings, in this case, sprouting and skimming. Because these are conjugated with an ANT ending, these will definitely end in the ANASAL. So if you accidentally use the ANASAL instead of the schwa in the third person plural verb, you're making it a gerund, thereby changing the tense of the verb. L'herbe malo sommeil sous les frais pliés au pente des sources moussues qui dans les présents fleurs germent parmi se perdent sous les noirs alliés. Uh...
soleil, chante les abeilles volages. Un chaud parfum circule au détour des sentiers. La rouge fleur des blés s'incline et les oiseaux rasant de l'aile la colline cherche l'ombre des églantiers. Mais quand l'astre incliné sur sa courbe éclatante verra ses ardeurs s'apaiser, que ton plus beau sourire est ton me récompense de l'attente. This interview with François Germain was conducted by Ellen Rissinger. Translation and phonetic guide by François Germain. This has been the Diction Police Special Diction Unit, a production of Singing Diction Gay Bay Air.